0: Good evening, beautiful listeners. You are tuned in to KSKQ at 89.5 FM, or perhaps it's 94.1 FM, broadcasting from the Rogue Valley. Or maybe you are listening via kskq.org, and you clicked the live stream button, and you are just streaming your heart out, listening to all the shows that KSKQ has to offer, or maybe it's not Monday night for you when you listen to this because you are in the future listening to this on SoundCloud. All of those options are great. They're all wonderful. None is uh, better than the other. Well, maybe listening live, but no matter how you're listening or where you're listening or when you're listening or with whom you're listening, Uh, the point is that this is Dream Infringement on KSKQ and we have a brand new show for you. The show is all about odd jobs, but I'm gonna back up because I forgot to say that Dream Infringement is a group of three friends, Jennifer, Bobby, and myself, Emily, and we like to tell stories And play songs based on a weekly theme and this week's theme is odd jobs which is something that i already said but it i forgot that i already said it (laughs) and maybe you did too and you needed that reminder (laughs) that the theme is odd jobs now an odd job is defined as small jobs of different types especially those that involve repairing or cleaning things but we're also taking it in a literal sense which are like actual odd jobs, jobs that are strange, peculiar, and weird. We are excited because we have outsourced to friends and family, or one friend and one family member. So we always enjoy hearing our guests' uh, stories. And yeah, it's, uh, it's gonna be a great show, folks. So let's start things off with Dolly Parton's Ode to Jobs work in the grind nine to five by dolly park
1: I'm crazy. Yes, sir.
2: that's me,
3: that's me. That's what I'm cracked up to be. Mel Blank. You might not know the name, but you know the voice, or voices. He created the voices of characters like Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, Daffy Duck, Tweety Bird, the Tasmanian Devil, Pepe Le Pew, and literally hundreds more. What's up, David? I'm mixing in some excerpts of an interview he did with David Letterman back in 1981.
4: I've worked in 5,000 different cartoons, Uh and uh, actually I do about 400 different voices.
3: Most of us grew up around these cartoons. Honestly, I didn't love a lot of them, but I would still always watch them when they were on. There was a certain siren call, cartoons and cartoon watching was my right as a child in this next clip mel goes on to describe the process of developing and creating the characters and he really had a lot of creative freedom to build on what these characters and their persona would eventually be
4: they show me a picture of the character Mm -hmm. and then they say uh, they show me a storyboard which shows what the character is going to do in the cartoon From this, I had to create the voice, like Bugs, they said, was a tough little stinker. So I thought, which is the toughest voice in this country, either Brooklyn or the Bronx? So uh, you put the two of them together. That's how I got the voice (laughs) from Bugs, Doc.
3: (laughs) He became known as the man of a thousand voices. It's an unusual job, and he was rather groundbreaking for his time. A definite voice actor celebrity. Here's a little bit more of that interview with David Letterman, where he shows off some more of his vocal characters and talents.
4: What others have you been responsible for? Well, there's a Yosemite Sam. That's a real raucous cowboy. And uh, of course, there's Pepe Le Pew. He's the little French skunk. Eh? <laughs> and he's the pussycat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> foghorn, I say, fo- uh, pay attention, David. A foghorn <laughs> Lego. <laughs>
3: If you watch interviews with them, you know how there are dad jokes, and then one step further are grandpa jokes. Grandpa jokes galore.
4: The first voice I ever did was this.
3: I was not aware of the time and effort that it took to put together some of the cartoons that they did at the time. And you had to be a very patient, very dedicated person to see a project like this through. An incredible amount of work for a very small amount of payoff.
4: To make a a six-and-a-half-minute cartoon in full animation took 125 people nine months to make one single fully animated cartoon. Mm
3: -hmm. But in 1961, those voices were almost cut short. He was driving his sports car on Sunset Boulevard at the aptly named Dead Man's Curve when a college student smashed into him straight on. I wasn't able to find a consistent source of the broken bone count, but he did end up in a full body cast and he was in a coma. I'm going to play you an excerpt of his son, Noel, talking about the experience. It's from the 20,000 Hertz podcast with host Dallas Taylor.
1: The doctor came in about on the 13th or 14th day and he said, Mel, can you hear me? No response. Mel, no response. I'd say, dad, can you hear me? No. And he looked up, saw the television screen.
4: But
1: it was Looney Tunes on the screen, and hearing Mel's characters gave the brain surgeon an idea. And he finally says, Bugs, can you hear me? Bugs Bunny, can you hear me? And my dad went, yeah, what's up, Doc? Yeah. Bugs Bunny had brought Mel Blank out of a coma. So the doc got an idea and he said, Porky Pig, can you hear me? He said, yeah, I, I can hear you. He went down the list of characters. And my dad came out of the coma at that time.
3: And once again, that was an excerpt with Noel Blank talking about his experience with his father from the 20,000 Hertz podcast with host Dallas Taylor. It's kind of amazing. His son going, Dad, Dad, the doctors being like, Mel, can you hear? was not enough to bring him out of a coma. Nothing was connecting the synapses as much as these characters. It was sort of a muscle memory reflex. I don't know what my muscle memory reflex would be. Maybe someone being like, hey, Jennifer, have you seen the latest K-drama? It's really good. It's got one of your favorite actors. Or we have cats. That might do it as well. Mel Blanc returned home on March 17th, and four days later he filed a lawsuit against the city of Los Angeles. His accident, one of 26 in the preceding two years at that intersection known as Deadman's Curve, resulted in the city funding the restructuring of the curves at that location. So he might have saved a few lives there years later he revealed that during his recovery his son ghosted several warner brothers cartoon voice tracks for him and at the time of the accident he was also serving as the voice of barney rubble in the flintstones eventually the show's producers ended up setting up recording equipment in his hospital room and then later at his home To allow him to work from there so some of the recordings were made while he was in a full body cast lying flat on his back with all the other Flintstones co-stars gathered around him he passed away in 1989 at the age of 81 due in large part to years of cigarette smoking I know what taking such a risk with the old vocal cords the old moneymaker a doctor who later examined his throat found that he possessed unusually thick, powerful vocal cords that gave him an exceptional range and compared them to those of an opera singer. His tombstone includes a very memorable line. I found a song. <laughs> I found a song. Boy, did I! Mel Blank did voice a character on The Jetsons, and this is a song related to The Jetsons, but it's a cover by the Violent Femmes, and it's "Eep, op, ork, ah ah" means "I love you."
2: Hi, I'm Leela. I have four good dogs and a very tall boyfriend, and I am doing my darndest to avoid the plagues. Currently, I manage the art collection of a private collector in a very hot part of the country where as a result, I too am feeling very hot. But the path to this career was predictably paved with odd jobs. So when Jennifer reached out asking if I'd like to contribute for this segment, I thought, oh, okay, yeah. I've got some stories to share. At first I thought, okay, I can talk about essentially how I've been a lifelong vegetarian. And yet my very first job out of high school was for a hot dog restaurant in Pike's Place Market in Seattle, where I not only prepared and served various sausages for locals and tourists alike, but eventually worked my way up to the prestigious job of cleaning the hot greasy grill every night. Odd job for a vegetarian, right? Sure. But I met one of my besties there, so it wasn't all bad. And they're closed now, so rest in peace, taxi dogs. We knew you well. Uh, And then I thought, okay, I could talk about my brief stint as a barista where I worked with Emily and then later connected the dots when I met Jennifer that Jennifer knew Emily and I knew Emily and now I know Jennifer and whoa, isn't this a small town? I was terrible at it. Let me be clear, like, I simply could not memorize drink recipes and basically lived for the day-old pastries. Thank goodness my class schedule changed when it did, and I had an easy excuse for quitting because I don't know that I could have kept up that charade much longer. But anyway, in the end, I decided not to talk about myself for once. I'm here to talk about the very odd job held by the assistant to the novelist and wine writer, Jay McInerney. Oh, you've never heard of him? Well, I hadn't either, but suffice it to say that his set was the inspiration for some of the characters in the novel American Psycho. So that's maybe all you need to know. Anyway, a couple months ago, I read a fun little blurb in an otherwise average Art News Today morning newsletter. No offense, art news today, morning newsletter editors. The blurb read, quote, This is not really an art item, admittedly, but if you ever see novelist and wine writer Jay McInerney at a gala, consider making friends with him. It turns out that he likes to bring beverages and caviar to such affairs. Quote, I often bring my own wine to these events, he said. Always enough for the whole table, end quote. Very thoughtful. End the other quote. so like wow right what kind of person brings their own wine to a gala i mean apparently one who's an inspiration for a, a whole bunch of terrible characters in a novel so anyway of course i immediately took a screen grab of this little blur and sent it to my boyfriend for commentary which he so thoughtfully provided lol caviar <laughs> said he so swank, I replied, and prob's a bit redundant for an art gala, but who knows? Yeah, anything called a gala is going to have bubbles and caviar on hand, lol, he said. This man loves a well-placed lol. But apparently theirs aren't good enough for novelist and wine writer J. McInerney, said I. And that's when it happened. The creation of perhaps the oddest job of them all. Via text, of course. He's bringing his own with an ivory spoon, my boyfriend said. He has it tucked in with his pocket square for safekeeping, I said. Or I suppose if it's a tuck situation and maybe not a pocket square. He said, it rests upon a small silk pillow. And I said, carried by his put-upon assistant at a respectable distance, but never too far out of reach. To which he replied, always within earshot of his tiny summoning bell and i said woe betide the hairy assistant harried assistant hairy assistant that'd be wild who fails to hear the tinkling of the caviar spoon bell over the din of the crowd cry laughing face emoji finn i mean you pictured this poor assistant didn't you someone very nicely dressed, perhaps in a bespoke suit befitting the assistant to a novelist and wine writer, but kind of always cowering, like a dog who's afraid of being swatted at with a rolled up newspaper. I personally envisioned Todd, Mugatu's assistant from Zoolander. So when I heard the dream infringement summoning bell, I was like, oh, have I got an odd job for you and decided to talk about this caviar spoon-carrying assistant, completely sure that this person existed. Only, uh, they don't. (laughs) Maybe. Turns out it was just a goofy text exchange with my boyfriend from a few months ago that I managed to convince myself was real life. So, is a caviar spoon-carrying assistant to a novelist and wine writer who takes BYO wine and caviar too seriously a real odd job? No. Would it be really odd if it was? For sure. Was this maybe a thinly veiled excuse to not only brag on how funny and cool my boyfriend is and find my way back onto the coolest show around? Maybe. Anyway, bye.
0: The story stylings of Leela. She never disappoints and we would all be blessed to know her and her boyfriend. I don't know I don't know her boyfriend, but he sounds hilarious. So um I I approve. <laughs> you don't need my approval. Um anyway,
5: well you have my approval.
0: You do need Bobby's.
5: <laughs> it's it's required if you're going to be on dream infringement.
0: <laughs> um thank you, Leela and I I really enjoyed working at Malello's with you. Oh, am I supposed to say the name of the store? (laughs) Well, I did.
5: Is a coffee shop also called a store? Like, is it a store for coffee? (laughs) It
0: it did have a store section where you could buy coffee. And it is a store when it's 10 o'clock and you're a tired 34-year-old. Um... I don't remember you being <laughs> bad at baristaing. Um, so either I wasn't paying attention because I was having so much fun with you um, or you're you really faked it till you made it so
5: or she wasn't paying attention because she was so busy honing her barista skills because <laughs> I have to say that Emily is one of the best baristas, continues to barista for our little family. Oh, my. Uh, And it's just very impressive. So she must have just been so hyper focused on her barista ability, just like sharpening her barista, you know, talents that she had no idea that the person working next to her was so uh, coffee incompetent. (laughs)
0: I've never been quite that dedicated to anything in my life, but I was dedicated to the amount of fun that I had working with Leela. So thanks for being a um, brief but awesome co-worker, and I'm glad we're friends now and that we do things on the radio together. All right. What have we next? And to answer the question I just asked, what we have next is me. (laughs) Talking about the ten weirdest jobs that people currently can have.
5: Can I guess what the fr- what the top five are? Yeah, please. Okay, uh, elephant toenail clipper. Okay. Okay, that's number one.
0: That would be a weird job.
5: Yeah. Number two, clown wig maker.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
5: Mm-hmm. Number three, peanut de sheller. Okay. <laughs> Number four, uh, smile creator, and you. So a
3: comedian?
0: You, you,
5: no, 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 uh, It's a person who uh, is in charge of uh, drawing smiles for um, for you know those uh, uh, those. During holidays, when the person, like, um, paints the glass oh. shop front and they do, like, Easter bunnies or, like, Santa Claus or, like, a witch during Halloween. Uh-huh. But they all have smiles. Okay. So this person, in addition to painting, like, the subjects that they're going to be, you know, rep- being representing each holiday, they also paint the smiles on the characters smile maker okay (laughs) but although i I moved to change
0: I thought you said smile creator sorry
5: smile creator I meant um but I also move to change the name of comedians to smile creators
0: I feel like that's a very Ellen DeGeneres thing like I'm pretty sure she's said that at some point in her career.
5: Okay, yeah, probably. She probably does.
0: But it's, it feels like it.
5: feels really on brand for Ellen DeGeneres. Hang on, Emily. I know you have some actual information to share to the listeners, <laughs> but I have one more nope. made-up job.
0: Please, what's the top? What's okay. the number
5: one? Number five. This oh, is number...
0: You, I thought you started from five and you were working your way down to one. Okay,
5: well, we'll let's flip the numbers. Now <laughs> okay. we're on number one. We have one more left. Okay, here is the top one made-up. Job that I just came up with off the top of my head. Be prepared because it's a little edgy. Um, If you are uh, one who is faint of heart when it comes to gross things, uh, please just lower the volume and cover your ears and hum uh, Mambo number five. Okay, and that should drown out this number one weirdest job. Are you ready? Yes. Armpit sniffer
0: bobby that is an actual job on this list (laughs) are you serious i am serious but we're not it's how did i do
5: this how did i how did i stumble onto an actual job
0: i don't know but you did it all right
5: emily take it away
0: so i'm gonna start from number 10 it's a countdown to the number (laughs) one weirdest job and the so number 10 is professional sleeper There is a hotel in Finland that hired a member of staff as a professional sleeper to test the comfort of their beds. The individual sleeps in a different one of the hotel beds each night and writes a review about their satisfaction with each one. Sign me up. Send me to Finland. I want to sleep all the time.
5: It would be great to have a job that pays you to sleep.
0: It would be fabulous. Yeah,
5: I've had a few jobs that weren't paying me to sleep, but I was giving them the service for free. So, <laughs> can take that one home. So there you go. If you want.
0: <laughs> uh, there, number nine, a drying paint watcher. For real. No
2: Someone way. Someone
0: actually earns a living to watch paint dry. There's a man in the UK that currently has this job, and he spends his days painting sheets of cardboard to test how long new paint mixes take to dry and watching for changes in color and texture.
5: Maybe it's a really boring job and ultimately, like there were probably a lot of people who signed up and and like the business was like, business is booming, we got so many employees, they're loving this job, but like slowly they all quit because it's so boring and this is the last guy.
0: Maybe, but you could listen to podcasts and stuff. Are you sure? Oh, I don't know. Does the paint require all of your attention?
5: There's a lot of jobs. Uh, let me just. I'd like to step onto my soapbox for a oh, for a moment. Boy. There are a lot of jobs out there that I feel require you to to have n- nothing to listen to. They will not. They they will not let you. They prohibit listening to music or podcasts. And frankly, I don't think that there is any point to that. I think it's really just to, like, make a a menial job much more menial and much more boring.
0: And miserable. And miserable. You might be right. You might be right. I'm stepping
5: off. I'm stepping off.
0: Okay. Uh, Number eight is a full-time Netflix viewer. Imagine (laughs) being paid to watch TV all day. Well, for one lucky employee, this dream has become a reality. Netflix hired someone to watch all of their content before it's available to the public and their role is to review and assign each program. It's correct tag, which helps us viewers find exactly what we're after, whether it's a romantic crime movie based on classic literature or a witty talking animal TV show. I feel like we'd be really good at that. And I feel like, I guess it's not quite the same thing, but whoever it is that writes the blurbs about the movie, Mm. like the synopsis, what, there was a streaming service we have where they, it's terrible. They yeah. did, whoever they hired to do that did a terrible job. Yeah,
5: and it's one of the major streaming services. And their blurbs are just so... It's almost like the person was really tired and just, like, <laughs> wrote whatever they wanted.
0: Yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah, so...
0: Yeah. Okay, number seven is a train pusher. Um, so there are... These people in Japan that are hired to help cram as many people onto a train as possible by pushing them from the outside until the doors will close. I remember seeing um, that happening. Actually, it was a documentary about China. And they were pushing people into the trains, just like packing them in there. So
5: that's so, so the people doing that aren't doing that because they just like really like to inflict discomfort. No, they, they that's are their being job. Paid. They have to. They have to do that.
0: Number six is a professional mourner. So it's a tradition in the in Southeast Asia that a loud funeral will assist the dead as they travel to the afterlife. So professional mourners are hired to cry. And weep loudly throughout the service. I, I remember. Yeah, yeah. You go ahead.
5: I've heard. I've heard of this. I've heard of it. That's yeah. all I. That's all I wanted yeah, to say. As have I. Yeah. It is a real thing. I can confirm that. <laughs> and if you if you really are a listener who trusts me, then um, hopefully that does something for you. Like Bobby said, it's true. So.
0: Yeah, Bobby's uh, opinions in relationships and uh, verification of. <laughs> Facts
5: mm-hmm. also made a lot of weight and made up things also.
0: Also that, also that. Okay, number five is a snake milker.
5: Uh, I think that's pretty <laughs> self explanatory.
0: Uh, they collect <laughs> the okay, venom <laughs> of poisonous snakes in jars for oh, use in antivenoms or other medication.
5: Not at all what I thought. So was thinking. <laughs> <What>? <laughs>
0: I don't know what you thought it was. Okay, let's move on. Number four, a dog food taster.
5: Okay, that's pretty self-explanatory.
0: Do do you not want me to read what it's about? No, please
5: do. Okay.
0: So the dog food tester's job is to taste new dog food products, including bones, tinned meat, and biscuits. They do this to test for flavor and texture in comparison to rival dog food brands. Mm. And human food... Hmm. Yeah, you can't
5: be you can't be putting out food that's going to be consumed by like an animal and and never taste it. Right.
0: <laughs> I always
5: have. Well, how do you know what their experience is?
0: I don't. I just trust that they will <laughs> know what they like and they'll eat what they like. You
5: trust the dog food taster that's why they right. exist okay that's job security because we're not tasting our the, our dog food now that's that true. that all that does is support the the dog food tasters
0: i wonder if his like personal life is difficult like dating that's and probably they're hot. like so what do you do for work and he's like oh, i work in dog food and they're like so what do you <laughs> oh, do really? what do you do i've always i wondered. love dogs i love them i've
5: always wondered what that was like so what do you do exactly
0: Well, I taste the dog food.
5: (laughs) You know what? This date is over. You're a weirdo because you have a weird job. Oh, no. No. Or they're like, or it scares me, the person who's like, you know what? I'm even more attracted to you. The idea of you eating dog food, it just does it for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, there's something for everyone. I guess so. Okay. And now we come to the armpit sniffing. This would be an odor judge. In order to test the effectiveness of new products, odor judges are hired to smell volunteers' breath, feet, and armpits. They make sure their judgment is accurate. The members of staff have their sense of smell tested monthly? (laughs) Odors of, like, for what, though?
5: You're out of job if you can't, like, a foot from an armpit new
0: products like deodorant i would like t-shirts shoes i don't understand this job but they're
5: they're sniffing feet also yeah
0: and breath okay like gum i don't know gross it must be to me that's more disgusting than dog food
5: tester but they just named hang on they just listed some of the some of the body parts with the strongest scents that we uh deodorize right right on a regular basis. Like no one wants their feet to stink. I mean, most people don't. Yeah. Or they want it to smell like something else than what it would naturally smell like. Mm. You know, is You know what's it, yeah. crazy
0: is I could do that job because I have a really disturbingly good sense of smell.
5: I what's crazy is I couldn't do that job because a lot of things smell the same to me. So like I don't know if I would be able to decipher whether I'm sniffing an
0: armpit. Chicken soup.
5: <laughs> but also, I don't know if this is um, the kind of job where you would be blindfolded. I wonder if that's how they get hired. They blindfold them. And they're like, now what part of the body are you sniffing? Oh. And they're like, the armpit, clearly.
0: <laughs> I'd be able to tell. <laughs> okay. Um, number two is Marmite Taster. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> As a part of a team of Marmite tasters, John Skelton is responsible for checking each batch of Marmite.
5: What is a Marmite?
0: It's a like, condiment in Australia, and it's like super salty.
5: Oh, isn't that in a song? Yeah. And then she, I made her, uh, she made me breakfast. Oh, that's Vegemite. Vegemite. Wait, what's
0: Marmite then? I don't know.
5: Vegemite? Um. Marmite? We're going to look it up. We're going to look it up and we'll we'll circle back to it, Emily, you explain while I look up.
0: Okay. So, he checks to make sure that each batch of Marmite has the correct texture, consistency, and flavor. And in the 30 years he's been working there, he has eaten around 3,000 jars of okay. Marmite.
5: Okay. Okay, Marmite is a British savory food spread. It's based on yeast extract and invented by the German scientist Justus von Leibig. What does it taste like? Um, It's made from byproducts of beer brewing and is produced by the British company Unilever. Okay, um, it's a it's a vegan source of B vitamins, including oh. supplemental vitamin B twelve. Hey, um, and its traditional use is to spread in very thi- spread very thinly on buttered toast. So you butter the toast, then you put this stuff on it. Interesting. Marmite.
0: Okay, the number one weirdest job is scuba. A uh, scuba diving pizza delivery man What There's an underwater hotel in Florida where they have a scuba diving pizza delivery man who supplies the people staying at the hotel with pizza by carrying them through the sea in a watertight case
5: I am are they underwater like are, are they in an underwater like biodome That must be it and then the pizza man, but they, they want pizza. So they want to be under the sea, under the sea. They want to be under the sea,
0: like and Little want, Mermaid. And they want to eat their pizza.
5: And they want their pizza too.
0: They want their who's it's and what's it's.
5: And pizza. And their pizza. So, so, and then, so the pizza delivery, uh, I wonder what company this is. Cause they're like, let them eat pizza get them that pizza.
0: Well, it's the hotel.
5: Oh, the hotel provides it for them.
0: Yeah, so the scuba diver is just like wrapping it in the case. The scuba diver's puts
5: it in the airtight An employee
0: case. of the hotel.
5: Okay, but you got to know how to swim if you're going to be hired.
0: <laughs> you got to know how this. to scuba dive.
5: Oh, I guess scuba dive. Do you have That's to know how to, Do you have to know how to swim to scuba dive because you have the oxygen tank. So what does it matter <laughs> if you're not a good swimmer?
0: I'm pretty sure you do. It
5: seems like swimming though is important so you don't drown so if you have an oxygen tank there's no point in knowing how to swim since you can't drown right
0: Mm, but what if you run out of oxygen
5: well you would just need to be able to like get i guess
0: the flippers are pretty buoyant yeah maybe you don't need you must know i mean what's your definition of we don't have time for this bobby that's it that was the 10 weirdest jobs The end. Thank you.
5: And good night.
0: I promised stories from friends and family. You heard from the friend. Now you're going to hear from the family. That's right. It's my dad, Steve.
1: Jobs. I've had lots of jobs in my lifetime. I've had jobs, everything from paper routes to being a tour guide. Being up on a telephone pole all day, sometimes all night, all kinds of them. But perhaps my most memorable job was working in a commercial laundry. It was 1964, I was still in high school, getting ready to graduate in 65, when I thought I should get a job and get a few dollars so I can have some stuff to do next summer. So I applied at Arrow Towel and Laundry Company in Oakland, California. And so he hired me. But you know what? What you're going to do is sort returned dirty laundry from a hospital in the south part of the Bay Area. Well, it sounded interesting, so that's what I did. Day one big box rolls in, big plastic box, fiberglass rolls in. Take the cover off. Oh my goodness, baby diapers! I mean, this was uh, pre pamper days baby diapers by the tons, by the dozens, by the hundreds, and if you know of their baby diapers and they came from the hospital, they got stuff in them and they did. So I'd separate those. Also had uh, all kinds of uh, nursing outfits, but perhaps the most interesting of all were the surgical towels. That's right, bloody surgical towels, (laughs) fresh from the surgery. Remember, these were pre-rubber glove days that uh, everybody would wear for any reason at all. And so there it would be, and uh, I guess I had a small part in helping people heal, because I got to clean the dirty baby diapers, dirty surgical towels, and some other stuff I don't even want to talk about. any rate, a job? Yeah, I've had some jobs, interesting jobs. Thanks. It was fun. I really cleaned up in the laundry. Ha, ha, ha. Hey,
5: Bobby here. So, I'm going to talk about a very unique work experience that I had in my life. And that was my very first experience working, like really working. And it was because of circumstances that were beyond my control. That was when my dad was kind of in a situation where he had no job and we were just kind of starting over again. Uh, we had moved back to Arizona from Oregon and starting a, restarting our life in Arizona, my dad, his only work prospect was using the abilities of finishing concrete setting up for concrete patios and sidewalks and foundations that he had learned while he was in Oregon in the short time that we had lived there um he was using those uh those abilities that he had learned and he had no workers so it was just him finding work and using me as his worker And so I had zero experience with work before that, um, very little to speak of. And I suddenly was tasked to uh, complete the work of a grown man at 15 years old. Um, It was extremely helpful for me now because at 35 years old, there are all of these things that I'm able to like do. And I compare so much of my work to situations that I found myself in when I was 15, 16, 17 years old that were not ideal. Like being on a freshly poured concrete patio in 105 degree weather in Southern Arizona, just scrubbing concrete with concrete trowels and the concrete is drying faster than I can smooth it out. And my arms are so sore and my mouth is so dry and I'm starting to feel lightheaded because I'm pretty sure I'm experiencing heat exhaustion. Um, And I have no other choice but to finish this concrete um, because, like my dad always said, concrete doesn't wait for anybody. It's just on its own timetable. And so these were the things that I experienced most work days uh, when I was starting at 15 years old. And so at 15 years old, being a very neurotic, um, anxious 15-year-old, I saw things through a different lens than my dad did because he had um, started working like that when he was even younger than I was. And he was, you know, dropped off in the middle of nowhere in the Arizona desert uh, with, like, 15 other guys tasked to dig trenches for a cable company. And most of those guys didn't speak any English. And he didn't even know if anyone would come back to pick them up. And a lot of these guys were Mexican, they were from Mexico, they had crossed over the border, uh, likely illegally, and were put to work like this, worked like animals, Um, no expectation uh, of being taken care of in any way outside of just being given a day's wage in cash under the table. Um, This was something that I had a front row seat to. I remember being in a truck and my dad driving up to, um, driving through a neighborhood that um, most people would never really drive through. And you turn the corner and just lined up on the curb's edge are like dozens and dozens of Mexican men just waiting to be picked up so that they can work for the day, so that they can send money back to their family, or whatever the reason was that they needed to work, they were there waiting to be put to work, to be chosen. And so to see, like, my dad roll down the window and say, I just need three guys, and for the three, like, everyone to be crowding the truck, and for three guys, my dad to point to the guys that he wants. And to make like a snap judgment about who's going to be a good worker, who's going to be an honest worker, and who's going to be able to listen to my dad's like instruction about what needed to be done. uh, To be able to make that choice quickly within moments and then for those guys to jump in the back of the truck and then for me to be left at the job with them so that I can help them work. Um, That was a unique experience. Definitely, from my perspective, very weird, I guess, if I was going to use the word that has to do with this theme. So um, I appreciate the perspective that that gave me uh, because it helped me to appreciate the kind of people that come to this country to struggle and to be given a very short end of the stick um, just so that they could have the opportunities that many of us take for granted. Um, many of us don't even realize our opportunities and they're so grateful and humble and, and, and I carry that, uh, experience and that perspective with me still. So I don't know, we might experience really difficult jobs, but I think that they all kind of help in carving out the kind of person that we are, the kind of worker that we are. So that's my story. Mm Hmm.
3: family. It takes a lot of staff to take care of the staff that takes care of the staff. It's just, it's a big endeavor to have a royal family. And I'm going to cover some jobs that thankfully are no longer needed, and some jobs that have endured through centuries to this day. But on the no longer around side of things, the whipping boy. What a weird psychological tactic. Like, well, you're the prince, so we can't lay hands on you, we'll just have someone your age, um, maybe that you're friends with, if we're lucky. And if you're bad, we'll just beat him in front of you. And then you'll feel bad, and you won't do bad things. I think how effective this is depends greatly on ye old royal spoiled one. Though I did read, it's believed Charles the I uh, had his friend William Murray as a whipping boy, and he rewarded him greatly for his duties later in his life. And I was like, oh, how nice. And then I was like, huh, I wonder if he did a lot that he felt guilty about. Or he's like, we reward this guy, he earned it. The food taster. Can you imagine what weird kind of eating disorder this would give you like on one hand it's the most decadent amazing food in the kingdom literally fit for the king and yet it could also be your very last meal in some sort of painful agonizing hopefully quick way living that kind of daily stress and couldn't they have used like a goat or a pig or something like did it have to be a person and there wasn't just a food taster, there was a totally different side. The beverages, yes, the cup bearer, who tasted any drinks. And while the food tester was usually a servant or even a slave, the cup bearer was usually one of the king's most trusted advisors. And because of that, they were allowed to accompany the king into important meetings. So you got to be there for all the interesting things. But it could also be deadly. Uh, The groom of stool. No, not the kind of stool made from wood that you can sit on. Think more clinically, the number ones, number two. But the groom of stool was usually paid handsomely. And it was one of the most highly regarded positions among the courtiers. Often, the groom of stool, was privy uh -uh, to secret information, which would lead to them being highly respected in the royal courts. It's up for debate whether they were really required to do any wiping. However, they were required to monitor the king's output, his uh, rankings on the Bristol stool scale, shall we say, and be on standby with a bowl of water and a towel. The washerwoman. Oh, it sounds innocent enough. It wasn't. There was a degree of danger because it involved pulling up many buckets of water from a moat over a bridge, and word was that sometimes some of them tumbled in and didn't tumble back out. I don't know why there wasn't a water porter person. But apparently the washerwoman was expected to do it all, but these washerwomen—they knew things because they changed bedsheets and nightwear. They knew their stains. Before forensic science was a thing, there were medieval washerwomen. You don't want to get on her bad side. And we'll be playing Billie Eilish's "You Should See Me in a Crown." You should see me in a crown. I'm gonna um, this nothing to Watch me make them bow, one by, one by, one, one by, one by you should see me in a crowd. But now we're on to jobs that still exist today. The Grand Carver. It's a person designated to carve up the roast meat on special occasions. This role is currently held by the earls of Denby and Desmond. The Grand Carver is a hereditary position. You cannot go to carving school and like work your way up to this. You've got to be born into it. The Royal Horological Conservator, basically the royal clockwinder, who maintains and sets over 1,000 clocks in Buckingham Palace and the other royal residences. The Royal Philatelic Collection, a.k.a. The Queen Stamps, This is a enormous stamp collection. It's been kept under the watchful eyes of Michael Sethi since 2003. He travels internationally to acquire new stamps and arrange stamp exhibitions to display the Queen's collection. She inherited much of this collection from her grandfather, and she's not much of a stamp collector herself, but she does appreciate the need to preserve the collection so sefi has been an avid stamp collector since his youth and headed up several philatelic societies before landing this job and it sounds like he is living his best life he is living a philatelistic dream yep this was a position created by queen victoria and i i don't know why but it, it was and this is piper to the sovereign and they act as an official bagpiper for special events but the main duty is to play the bagpipes every morning at 9 a.m for 15 minutes under the queen's window he also travels to her residences at buckingham palace windsor castle balmoral castle and the palace holy house so he's 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 a traveling bagpipist the royal surveyor of pictures Uh, The Queen has a royal collection of 7,000 oil paintings and 3,000 miniatures. So there's a lot of pictures to survey. But this role is not to be confused with the separate role of the surveyor of the Queen's works of art. Different things. The Queen's flag sergeant. Uh, They raise and lower the royal flag outside the Queen's residence to indicate whether or not she's home and this person also has to follow the queen to all of her residences raising and lowering the flag upon her entrance and exit there there is a master of the queen's music which entails composing music for important royal events and being the advisor in all things musical it's kind of like having your own personal john williams or philip glass just follow you around and make sure you have a suitable musical soundtrack for your, <laughs> for your life. So the medical officer to the queen abroad is sort of the doctor for when she's traveling. But there's also a royal medical household that includes two physicians to the queen, the s- sergeant general, the surgeon gynecologist to the queen, a surgeon dentist, an orthopedic surgeon an oculist and apothecary to the queen like that's all in-house which that's a lot so those are some odd jobs of the past and of the past and still coming along strong in the present i know this song is kind of overplayed but i just i kind of want to hear it i haven't heard it for a long time so it'll be i feel like i'm ready to play royals by lord again I'm ready to hear it again. And
2: we'll never be royal. Royal. It's a one in our blood. That kind of loves just aim for us. We crave a different kind of blood. Let me be your ruler. Ruler. You can call me Queen Bee. Maybe-
0: well, I hate to say it, but the time has come for us to pass the radio baton over to Sophia Blanton and her world music show. Thanks so much for listening tonight. Thank you so much to our lovely contributors, Leela, our dear, dear friend, and her hilarious boyfriend that Bobby and I both approve of, <laughs> and my dad. It's always more fun when we get to hear from other people and get other people's experiences and perspectives. So thank you. We love you, Miriam. We'll be back next week with a new show. Hopefully. I, we're planning on it. So anyway, have a good, good week, everyone, and a good night and a good everything. Good night.